Hello, my name is Pastor Brian Taylor of Forest Avenue Baptist Church, and you're listening to our sermon series in the Book of Lamentations. If you wish to contact us, our mailing address is 106 West Forest Avenue, Sherman, Texas 75090, and our website is www.fabcsherman.com. You can always call our offices at 903-892-3506 for more information. We thank you for listening. Have a great day. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes when you're going through suffering, you're watching your world crash in around you, it is hard to see the greatness of God or the tears. This is the story of Jerusalem and Judah during the time of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. You know, last week we started in this book. You can turn in your Bibles with me to Lamentations uh, chapter 1, verses 12 is where we're going to be, through 22. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, um, just so you guys know. Um, Last week, as we looked at the scripture together, we saw that Jeremiah's tears were for a nation. He talks about the city that is in turmoil, the city that is being ravaged by the Babylonians, the city that is under God's judgment, the the city, the city, the city. And this week, as we look at this book, we'll see he switches to the first person. He begins to use the words, I. He begins to use the words, me. He talks about himself. And I, I think it's important for us to remember that he is the prophet of that time period. The, the Jews were not listening to him. He, when, the, when they attacked, finally, the final stage, he probably was in jail. Um, but yet he still maintains this attitude of standing in the gap for his nation. In other words, he hasn't written them off yet. Yes, they are disobedient. Yes, they are rebellious to God. Yes, all of these calamities have become a judgment of God weighing upon their necks like a yoke of slavery, of attachment to the burdens. And yet he loves them enough to pray for them. And that's what we're going to be talking about. The title of my message is morning, These Things I Weep, for These Things I Weep. Verse 12, Lamentations chapter 1. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet and he turned me back. He has left me stunned and faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound up into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together and they were set upon my neck. And he caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst, and he summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. And for these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate. For the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy 
staying among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the streets, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. And all my enemies have heard of my trouble, but they are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you've dealt with me because of my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. The first thing we see in this verse of scripture is that it it belongs to the Lord to bring judgment. Judgment begins in the house of God. You ever heard that verse? Judgment begins in the church. Uh, Right now, many of us are looking outward and we think that the problem is the White House or the Congress or the Senate. We think that the problem is in D.C. or the problem is with the culture of America. We believe the problem is outside the walls of this church. But I want to tell you, that's not the problem. The problem rests with the church of God to repent of her sins. That's the problem. When the church is judged, when the church comes to terms with her own relationship with God, with her own idolatry, with her own adultery into sin and all kinds of things, when the church confesses and repents, then God heals the nation. 2 Chronicles 7.14 When the church gets on her knees, and cries out to the Lord in prayer, repentance, and humility, then God moves. You see, judgment begins in the house of God. And it began with Jerusalem. As we continue through the first chapter of Lamentations, we find Jeremiah keeps insisting that the Lord is the one that brings these things about. You know, um, you ever heard that story about uh, Satan? Hey, he was really getting mad. This is... (laughs) This is, this is a preacher's tale, so you know where, that, where that's going, right? He's really getting mad, and he, he came to God, and he said, Lord, I'm really upset. And God said, what are you upset about? And he said, everybody blames me for everything. And it's true. You hear Satan did this, Satan does that. Everybody blames him for everything. Jeremiah says, God is the one who brings judgment to his own house. He makes it plain that it is not Babylon, it's not Satan, it's not a series of unfortunate events, it's not coincidence. These are the actions of God upon his people. And brothers and sisters, as we look at our own country, as we look at countries around us, if the Lord does not bring judgment to America, as I said last week, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, the Lord inflicts, is what Jeremiah says, He sent fire into my bones. He spread out a net. He turned his back. He turned me back. He left me stunned. He gave me up. He rejected my mighty men. He summoned Babylon. He treads us down like grapes in a wine press. 
Now, these are not popular things to preach from today's pulpit. If you turn your channels, you can find a lot of popular preachers preaching peace and safety and joy and your best life now. But can I tell you what the church needs? It needs to see that God is the one that will one day judge the entire earth and he will begin with his house. One of the reasons why I'm a premillennialist, you know what that is? I believe that the rapture is going to take us. One day God's going to come back, he's going to judge the earth, and I'm going to be raptured. Because judgment began with his house. He starts there first. One of the reasons that Jeremiah lists that God is right to bring this judgment is because of their sin. We find it very interesting in this chapter, the difference between the first half and the second half. The first half, as I said earlier, is Jerusalem's sin, Judah's sin, Israel's sin, and all of a sudden in verse, the very end of verse 11, Jeremiah begins saying, me and I and my sin and what I've done. You remember the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? The angel has to go and get the coal from off the altar because you know what Isaiah is crying? He says, Woe is me, because I am a man of unclean lips and an unclean heart. I need the coal to touch my lips. To purify my speech and my tongue and my heart. You see, it is when we come to grips that it's not just the city that needs to repent. It's not just the culture that needs to repent. It's not just America and D.C. that needs to repent. But when we finally say, it's me, then that the Lord begins to work. Now we know the story of Jeremiah. He continually prophesied, and the people and the rulers wouldn't listen to him. They persecuted him. They imprisoned him, ultimately martyred. And he identifies with the people to the point of becoming their intercessor. You know what that word is? To stand in the gap, to intercede, the verb, on behalf of someone else, to become someone's prayer warrior. He stands in the gap for them. And, there, and I admit that some of these sins Jeremiah probably didn't do. As I look at it, I think he's about the only righteous person in the whole story. And yet, he puts himself in their shoes, taking on their blame, identifying with their guilt, and pleading to God on their behalf. You know anybody else that did that for him? died on the cross. He put himself in our shoes, identified with our blame, took upon our shame, and by, for our iniquities, what we did, he took it all to the cross. Perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Jeremiah wasn't perfect and sinless. That's why he couldn't be the Messiah. But Jesus Christ put himself in our shoes. He made it personal. Because of my sin, Jeremiah writes, these things have occurred. That, this gives us great insight into the attitude towards a sinful world and a compromising church that we should have. It doesn't help to continually point the finger outside and play the blame game. It doesn't help to always play the prophet and preach to men their sinfulness if you are unwilling to stand in the gap and become the intercessor on behalf of others. 
You see, he modeled the kind of praying that people should be praying. The nation of Israel needed to confess, so Jeremiah confessed for them. The nation of Israel needed to repent, so Jeremiah wrote about repenting. He humbled himself. The prophet who wrote Lamentations shows us how to identify with others. Brothers and sisters, that is one of the greatest needs in the church today. We need to be raising up intercessors, prayer warriors who can go to bat for a lost city, a lost nation, and a lost world. Why does Jeremiah weep? For these things I weep. Let's, let's list some of the things he, he was weeping about. Because there's a time and in, in a season for everything under the sun. And sometimes it's a time to laugh. And other times it's a time to weep. And so Jeremiah writes down why he's weeping. Number one, the comforter is gone. Now, if you could for a moment consider the implications of this. What does it mean the comforter is gone? Well, for us, who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit. Christ said he's going to be called the comforter. He's going to come. Can you imagine what, it, what the world is going to be like when the Christians are raptured and the Spirit of God is removed from the face of the earth? What will this world and this earth be like when the comforter is gone? I don't want to be here. And I know there may be some folks saved during that time. It's possible. But I'll tell you right now, I don't want to live in a world where there is no comforter. It's a scary thought to think that there one day the Spirit of God will be removed from this place at the last days when Christ returns. He says, my children are desolate. The word desolate is defined as a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. Jeremiah weeps for the children of Judah because not only are they physically now enslaved, being led in chains to Babylon, but they are also spiritually and emotionally in despair. They are empty. Wonder about like the future generation of, of Americans and, and you guys, you know, teenagers, you, we look to you oftentimes when we talk about the future, but when you see a lot of the things that are going on, a lot of us adults are sometimes scared for you guys. But I believe this, that in every generation, God raises up his children. He raises up people that will love him and follow him with all their heart. And you will live in a time, you will live in a time when people are empty and desolate and in great need of a Savior. He weeps because the enemy is winning. I think about Babylon and how Jeremiah and all of Judah and all of Israel wept during the time because of Babylon winning. But imagine the implication to us believers in Christ as we watch the enemy, Satan, take the ones we love, our family, our friends, our neighbors, and wreak havoc and destruction in people's lives. Anybody watching that? Anybody seeing tragedy afoot? Anybody seeing families, brokenness, and Satan just wreak havoc in people's lives? Because of sin, the enemy is winning. And we believers in Jesus weep when we see the enemy winning in people's lives. We don't wish hell upon anybody. 
we long to see people come to Christ. The glory of God's nation has become a filthy thing, a curse word in the mouths of Israel's enemies. Did you see that part? The glory of God's nation, Israel, has become a filthy curse word. And I really thought about this as I was reading this. You know, we have come into a point, I think, in American culture where the church of God is not thought of as the glory as it used to be in days gone by. In fact, the word church in a lot of people's vocabulary is something that brings across the point of filthy curses. You say, Brian, how do you, how do you mean? Well, when you have headlines making the news that another priest has sexually assaulted or molested or another pastor has deviated from the truth and gone into immorality or you hear about church where there's scandal after scandal after scandal and you hear about Christians making the news that should be glorifying God with their lives and living upright moral lives and yet they're maybe embezzling or doing some other kind of evil the church has become a filthy curse the world has she not and the Lord is in the right to judge Israel and he will be right when he brings judgment to us it is Jeremiah's belief that God is right to judge Israel for several reasons number one the rebellion of God's people so that they are unwilling to obey God's words now folks that applies to us today many church members don't even know what God's word says much less obey it You have to be able to read this book to obey it. You've got to know what it says. So number one, the reason God is in the right to judge Israel and the reason God is in the right to judge us is because we don't obey his words. That's the first reason Jeremiah gives. Number two, God is in the right to enslave the young men and the young women into Babylon. Why does Jeremiah say that? There seems to be some implication between the disobedience and the rebellion of God's word between the young men, women and the young men's purity. Surely the young as well had rebelled against the Lord's word. The prophet mentions and that they were deceived by lovers. Now I'm getting older, and uh, that's not just a young person problem, but I know when the young people are sometimes deceived and deceive each other. Ever heard of a young girl and a young guy breaking each other's hearts because of deceit and deceiving each other? Lying to one another? Cheating on one another? Brothers and sisters, God is in the right to judge because young men and young women are deceiving each other. And the old men and the old women are not obeying his words. Number three, the prophet says the Lord is in the right to cause the leaders of the Jewish nation to perish. Why? Why do the priests and the elders perish? Let me let you in on a little secret. No nation goes down without bad leadership. No church either. And so, these government leaders, these elders, and these spiritual leaders, these priests, allowed sin to be in Jerusalem allowed sin to be in the temple. They allowed the people to worship the gods of Molech, the gods of the Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and all the ites you can possibly think of, and to worship in the temple too. 
And they allowed it. They didn't stand up and say it was wrong. They didn't stand up and preach truth. They allowed sin to enter into Jerusalem. And thus, Jeremiah says, God is in the right to judge the priests and the leaders of the country. He is in the right to cause them to perish. That's a strong word. Let me end in this way and talk a little bit about Jeremiah's intercessory confession. Did you notice something about physically that was going on with Jeremiah as he was talking about the Lord being in the right to judge these things? His stomach is churning. In other words, these aren't happy things he's saying. It is causing him physically to get sick. Number two, his heart is wrung out and faint. He's been weeping. He's tired. He's been staying up praying. Physically, his heart has been wrung out and he's faint. Number three, he's groaning and he's weeping. Number four, he has no comfort and he needs his spirit to be revived. And number five, sorrow has overtaken him and he is in distress. This is the physical state of someone who puts themselves in the place to intercede for his nation. Now, brothers and sisters, I can tell you I pray for our nation, but I have not done what Jeremiah has done. Physically, I have not lost sleep over our nation. And maybe that's a problem. Physically, I must be honest with you, sometimes... I haven't even lost sleep over my own spiritual state or over someone else's. What it means to be an intercessor is to put yourself in a place for someone else to where you pray for them, you feel what they feel, even physically. Perhaps you go through things because you care so much. For someone else. Is that you? Can that describe your prayer life? So what is the job of the intercessor, Jeremiah? Jeremiah stands in the gap for the people. He's confessing for them. Using the first person dialogue, he speaks. I have been very rebellious. Has he really? Has Jeremiah really been rebellious? Well, he doesn't care. He puts himself in their shoes. He is interceding for them. He weeps for them. The children, the young men, the young women who've been enslaved. He weeps in the death of the priests and in the death of the elders. He weeps when he sees the enemy being more victorious over his people, over God's people. He weeps as Jerusalem's glory is lost and becomes a filthy word in the mouths of her neighbors. He weeps because of sin has become a yoke. You know what a yoke is, don't you? It used to go over two oxen, cows, right? One side of that ox, and the other side you have two of them that pull the plow. He weeps because sin has become a yoke and a burden on the neck of his people. He weeps because the day of the Lord's judgment has come. And the judgment of the Lord began in the house of God. And he prays that Babylon will experience the same judgment as Judah is. And they will, they will, Assyria will come in 
King Cyrus and all the, the Persian Empire, you'll read about Persia. They come in and take over. As we consider this morning the job of the intercessor, we see that Jeremiah's physical state and his actual prayers were so heartfelt and sincere that he is hurting physically and spiritually for the state of lost people. It is a great reminder to us what intercession really looks like. It's not a list of people's ailments on a piece of paper where you can just pray over one and put it down and feel nothing. Folks, intercession is deep. It's heartfelt. It's real. It stands in the gap more than a minute a day for people. It stands in the gap sometimes for hours for co-workers, for friends, for family, for neighbors who feel as if they do not need to worship God and do not need to put Him first in their lives. Intercession is a sacrifice. This morning, um, I'm going to ask a brother to come.